This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. There's little question that Uber has changed transportation in countries around the world. The ride-hailing service has been around for a decade and is perhaps Silicon Valley's fastest-growing startup ever. But as it's grown ubiquitous, it also had a number of problems, including issues surrounding founder Travis Kalanick, whose tumultuous leadership ended in 2017 with his ouster. Yet when Uber went public earlier this year, Kalanick was at the New York Stock Exchange on the floor. The tech company has also faced questions about how it treats its drivers, its toxic internal environment, and its questionable tactics to gain dominance in the industry. New York Times technology correspondent Mike Isaac takes a deeper look at all of this in his new book, Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber. And a pleasure to have Mike joining us right now. Mike, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. Finish this line for me if you can. Travis Kalanick's leadership was what? <laughs> uh, I would say uh, uh, I, unstoppably pugnacious and uh, unfortunately, you know, sort of too aggressive uh, for his own good is probably what I would what would be the, the, the coda on his era of leading Uber. You know, it is interesting how, how this company has developed, and obviously part of it, uh, the conversation around Uber is has been, you know, they're not a transportation company, they're a technology company, and, and obviously they've had uh, these battles. But when you look at, at the early days of, of this company starting mm-hmm. to develop, what was it, and Kalanick obviously was a big part of it, but what was it about the operation that, that made it successful? Yeah, you know, I mean, part of, uh, the story of Uber, I think, is really about like what it takes to be a startup in the valley in general. You know, like uh, from the very beginning, you you just sort of have to grow your company or your company dies, right? That's kind of the story of every startup. I think Uber had to be uh, especially a pugnacious, just because you know every market, every single city they were pushing into, basically uh, for their Uber X uh, service, didn't really you know, allow it. It wasn't legal at the time. If yep. you remember back to yep. 2014, it wasn't, this wasn't a legal model. So you just, they just sort of parachute in, set up shop and, and spin up um, demand from riders until they become indispensable. And, and cities have to sort of uh, cave to, to, to feeling like Uber is here. Uber is inevitable. And just repeat that a hundred of hundreds of times in cities around the world, and then they get to a position where they're ubiquitous. And we saw that here in Philadelphia, and you mentioned Philadelphia in mm-hmm. the book as as one of the examples of how they actually did this. No, that's right. I mean, and there was the, the track long uh, long fight with the PPA and, and uh, just sort of like this intense battle and, and uh, the advantages that Uber has opposed to like the public sector governments is just you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in engineering talent and building like different tools, like this thing called Grayball that they use to sort of hoodwink authorities and, and eventually uh, make their way in and, and embed themselves into the fabric of the city. But it's also a story about the uh, about the people of the company, and, and you talk about yeah. some of the hiring that they did, uh, which yeah. in, which involved a, a lot of the federal agencies like the CIA, FBI, the NSA. A, a lot of those people that worked at those agencies ended up coming to Uber. Yeah, you know, you know, part of um, part of working at a tech company a lot of the time, especially one like Uber, is just sort of figuring out how to get around the barriers the government at least you know some some companies hire legions of lobbyists 
um, you know, like Amazon, Facebook, Apple to, to sort of descend on Washington. Uber had to hire lobbyists, but they also had to hire like surveillance operatives, essentially, to to figure out how to, to move into a new city. Uh, in some cases, they spied on transportation officials and lawmakers in order to um, prevent them from using the app uh, to call cars and then impound cars when they were fighting these battles again in like Philadelphia. Um, or um, in some cases in China or in with uh, Lyft in the United States, spy on competitors. So it became yeah. this sort of crazy, well-funded uh, espionage operation <laughs> that was, you know, uh, against corporate uh, corporate adversaries. And, and I wondered if part of, of how the, the people at Uber viewed this was, especially, as you said, as they were kind of dropping into these cities, uh, is whether or not they saw that, that, to a degree, they were trying to break up a monopoly that the, that the cab companies had with the local governments. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is the, the sort of logic I think you have to... The, the, the thing that's hard to see now is, like, Uber is so big and it's so everywhere and it becomes, like, the dominant force, right? But in the beginning... Um, imagine, you know, you're going up against what, what Travis Kalanick called the taxi cartels, right? Like they own transportation, they're in bed with local government and sort of have deals sort of already set up. So um, from Uber's mind, from Travis's mind, you know, this is already a, a flawed, uh, even corrupt system. And yeah. he justifies his own, the, the end eventually justifies the means, um, and, uh, you know, some might say that he, he got there and, and Uber is is everywhere now. So I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a ethically questionable pathway, but but that's how they kind of thought about it. Did they did they believe that they were they that they were to a degree improving on the cab industry? Yeah, I mean, look, like this is the um, it's hard not to to look at Uber in terms of how the product works. Um and just compare to what you know what it was like the experience of hailing a cab before, right? Yeah. Like no one, and it's that's the sort of grand irony of Uber to me is that like Uber ended up becoming a bad guy, even though people don't generally love the experience of getting in a taxi all the time, right? They can not always be super nice. They might not always show up in San Francisco where I live. Like it's you know it's a crapshoot whether a cab driver shows up on time or not. So <laughs> it's definitely like um, it's definitely. Um, a big improvement in terms of the technology and experience. It's just with with that has come a host of other sort of incidental or um, uh, side effects that you know you can argue are for better or worse. Like uh, talk about like labor conditions and how they treat yeah. the drivers and and uh, a lot of different things with the labor model that has come along with it. Well, and and a lot with the employees of the company itself, and obviously mm. the allegations of of sexual harassment and, and how that all kind of impacted Kalanick and eventually was part of the reason why he wasn't uh, the CEO anymore. That's right. I mean, one of the um, most dramatic parts of this book uh, that I get into is just the nightmare 2017 that they had and, and really what um, Uber... Uh, the book is about Uber, but it really is what what Uber stood for, just in terms of how society viewed technology companies in 2017. And right. I think there was a real reckoning, you know, for a long time. Um, and I've even had to look back on my own coverage for a long time. It was really sort of wow, you know, founders in hoodies changing the world, um, eating ramen and making billions of dollars, right? <laughs> and now it's now it's like. Um, well, you know, maybe Facebook is starting, you know, genocide in Myanmar from their Menlo Park headquarters. So it's a very sort of very marked change in how tech is viewed and and how the culture inside of these companies informs it, including this very sexist 
uh, toxic masculinity and, and dominant bro culture that, that is just now starting to really change. And Uber was like a turning point for that. I think. But, but you talk uh, about about Kalanick and, and I guess he was uh, very much an admirer of Jeff Bezos as well, correct? That's right. He had a um, – so Bezos, um, from the near beginning of Amazon, had started his – these like 14 uh, values to sort of shape how the company worked. And Travis had his version of 14 values, only they looked um, like they were run through like a bro-speak translation uh, engine, basically. So that's where the title of the book comes from. Super Pumped was uh, one of the Uber's 14 cultural values. And and they they evaluated their employees on the level of super pumpedness they brought to their job. So it's sort of, it was sort of hard to take them seriously off the bat, and I don't think they're fully self-aware all the time, you know? But right. that's sort of how it informed the worldview of the company and of talent. Well, I, I found the story about Las Vegas very interesting when – uh, they had I forget which milestone they hit, but uh, Kalanick brings uh, you know everybody to Las Vegas to celebrate. Uh, he held a concert with Beyonce, uh, and, and I guess after that he unveiled those fourteen kind of the the, the those ideas that that he thought were going to be going to make the company uh, uh, you know successful. To go from Beyonce to that, that's that's a significant emotional shift for all those people. It's just not, it kind of shows the level of like, you know, or the lack of self-awareness, I would say. They spent, they ended up spending um, $25 million on that, uh, that week-long Bacchanal in Las Vegas for the company. They flew out and every employee from all around the world to this um, retreat in Vegas. It was, um, it was, like you said, it was a milestone to celebrate how many trips they had completed in 2015. Yeah. And, um, uh, they were like, all right, we're going to get Beyonce. It sort of just crystallized this moment of, like, perfect tech hubris and excess, you know? It's one of the things that I tried to open the book with. And then they go to from that to these are our values, which, again, are kind of obscene, absurd. So it's really, I don't know, like, uh, there were employees I was speaking to as recently as last night that were just looking at each other in the audience going, is this for real? Is this guy for real? Are we? Is this a real thing? What was his style or, or, or relationship maybe with some of the, the people that he had to work as close with? You talk about Garrett Camp in the book, uh, the, the co-founder and, and the guy that you say he credits with really having a lot of, uh, of the base work uh, on Uber. Uh, what about like, you know, the, the venture capital people? Because obviously to get this off the ground, he had to have quite a bit of venture capital. What were those relationships like? Yeah, well, so Travis um, had actually done two startups before Uber, and he was actually burned um, twice before. The first, the first uh, company he did a file early sort of proto file sharing Napster company called Scour. Um, he ended up getting uh, knifed by one of the, his backing VCs, and mm-hmm. and that really uh, we go into it in the book, but that really informs how he. Uh, starts to distrust um, the people around him, especially venture capitalists who just sort of, uh, it really informs his worldview on how he can approach business. And I think by the time he gets to Uber, um, you know, he has this co-founder, Garrett Camp, who was mostly hands-off. He's just sort of like created the ideas and gave the company over to Kalanick. And then um, he the, the VCs involved in Uber um, definitely are instrumental early on in helping getting Uber off the ground. But later, by the time that Travis sort of builds this empire, he starts cementing his power and p- placing 
um, sort of safeguards into the corporate charter so that it's, it makes him almost inextricable from, from the company and, and right. very difficult to remove him. So it, it just sort of it shows his lack of trust of people around him and, and ultimately the lengths they have, the VCs have to go to remove him from the company. In the end. Well, and, and I mentioned at the top when, when they had the IPO earlier this year, mm-hmm. I remember you know watching the floor and then there's this video of Kalanick there. And I was <laughs> like, wow, that's, that's amazing that this guy has had so many issues with this company, yet you forget that he's still a major stockholder in the company. Yeah, 100%. He was... He was um, it's really funny. Every everyone I talk to now um, who has been around him or that was involved in building this company has really mixed feelings around him. Because on the one hand, he uh, he you know I, many believe that they couldn't have built Uber without him, and he was very supportive in some ways of, of people. But on the other hand, he he just sort of took a wrecking ball to this company in 2017 when he was trying to stay on at the top and, and ended up doing a lot of damage um, to the company's brand. Uh, as he was holding on to power, so yep. he's he's always going to be attached. He had he still has significant stock holdings. He's a billionaire, uh, many times over, but still uh, he's still on the board of this company. So I think he's you know Uber is always going to be Travis, and Travis is always going to be a part of Uber. Yet a lot of people still will 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 note that that part of those troubles in 2017. Obviously, there was you know there was the delete Uber, but you also had Anthony Lewandowski and. and mm. How much Travis was actually involved in in trying to bring Lewandowski over over to his company? Yeah, so Anthony Lewandowski is this other fascinating character. He was an early self driving car engineer in the Valley. Uh, Google picked him up, and he was just really um, a really brilliant guy, but also very, I would say, kind of a kind of a shady shady maneuverer in the Valley. He he had a lot of different things going on where he would. Um, uh, um, have side projects going uh, on his robotics and self-driving interest, and ultimately Google had to buy them from him, even though he works for Google. So what happened was um, he leaves Google, starts his own self-driving company, but um, the the sort of problem with his leaving is he decided to take a whole lot of files with him out the door yep. uh, that, that Google claimed were um, trade secrets and that he was actually stealing trade secrets. Um, that would ultimately result in uh, an insanely intense battle between Uber and Waymo. Waymo ended up suing Uber, claiming that Anthony Lewandowski took them and was going to help uh, Uber defeat Waymo by stealing their property. And uh, that case was settled. But just uh, just last week or a week or two ago, uh, Anthony Lewandowski was indicted by the Department of Justice on 33 counts of, of theft of trade secrets or attempted theft. So the case is still ongoing, and he's still... Uh, still a sort of crazy character in this whole, in this whole tale. I think one of the questions I, I think being asked uh, of Uber or should have been asked of Uber, maybe going back a few years, now that you have uh, Dara Koshoshai running the, uh, the company, uh, mm. is whether or not Travis Kalanick would have been accepting of bringing on an outside CEO while he was still, you know, kind of overseeing a lot of the, you know, it had to be all of these these issues that that piled up that pushed him out that eventually yeah. brought Dara to 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 come onto the company. Yeah, it's really uh, a lot of uh, ex employees and current employees that I talk to sort of wonder what an alternate version of the future would have been if Travis was still there and and would would he have stepped down were it not for the the you know really just blow after blow of, of scandals dropping in 2017. 
um, uh, some of some of which were personal and and really sort of damning of him and his behavior. Um, and then you know ultimately, as I get into in the book, he has a real personal tragedy tragedy with the the death of his mother uh, just out of nowhere in the middle of all this. And I really, I think it, I think that was probably the, the most difficult part for him. He's been always a fighter and willing to fight through all sorts of intensity and the world really being against him. But right. he lost one person that was really dear to him and all of his folks were trying to push him out at the same time. So I think that ended up being the thing that made him, uh, uh, sort of stand down in the end. One of the things that's discussed about Uber right now is it eventually, at some point, mm. being profitable, and, yeah. and and whether or not that will that will come because of of the structure of the company and and how it is and how autonomous may play into that some point down the road. What was the profitability of the company a a, a consideration for Kalanick? And if mm. it was, how much? Yeah, this is the sort of hilarious part of Uber is, is, or the grand irony of, of Uber is that it unlocked an entirely new mode of, of transportation, of work, of, of how the world sort of moves about, but um, still might not be uh, an actual business or a profitable business ever. And, and that's, there's still very serious questions around its business model. You know, like back in 2009 uh, onward, um, the, the model really was Stay private as long as possible. This is under Calvick, and and uh, raise as much uh, money as we can. And they ended up raising over ten billion dollars in in private capital, um, and and that worked for a long time when they didn't have super intense competition. But now they're fighting battles with basically uh, competitors that offer commoditized uh, identical product on multiple continents across you know hundreds of cities and. Yeah. It, and those competitors are also well-funded. So when does the subsidies stop? When do you get to a point where you can actually have people pay the, the real cost of the ride without gouging the um, – without uh, sort of cutting – slashing driver prices and paying real real rider prices? And and I don't know. Like the uh, Dara Pratishahi has said, uh, it's still the foreseeable future profitability is not at least extremely close. It's yeah. going to take more time. Yeah, because the driver piece obviously has been talked about a lot, uh, and, and the pay that the the drivers are or are not getting, and, and mm-hmm. whether that you know how long that issue is going to continue to play out. Yeah, I mean the the the, um, the, the levers that Uber has are either you know raise prices for riders, and that's already problematic for them because then you know the rider could just go to another service or decide to take the bus. Uh, or uh, lower wages for drivers, and and that's a really that's a hard problem to be in. You have to constantly sort of balance who's getting paid what and and what that does to your demand. And and um, in California where I live, um, Uber's fighting battles on worker classification and yeah. and if they have to treat them as employees, which could also really disrupt their business model. So it's really it it's very difficult for them. Um, they may have unlocked this category of like gig gig economy and gig worker, but it's still uh, the way we look at what labor is and how we treat uh, a worker and employee is, is still evolving as we speak. And that's and that's going to be a very important thing for them as it plays out. And, and to a degree, I think, as you kind of alluded there, Uber, mm-hmm. I think, is seen as one of the benchmarks of this industry. When you think about, you know, how this idea came about, how popular Uber is, and even with the fact that it's still not technically a profitable company, 
No, that's right. And I, I think the um, the the goal for for Kalnick for a very long time too, as we were kind of getting to earlier, is just this idea that okay, well, the driver is the major cost center for them. You know, they're basically a software company, uh, a network. Um, but if we can get to a point where we can eliminate the driver, I think he actually said, you know, the most expensive part of this of our company is that person sitting in the front seat, the driver. So if they can get to a point of eliminating that driver and getting self self driving cars sort of off the ground, uh, that was their that was their sort of like golden moment and, and when they can really flip the switch to that. Now I think I think the, the industry has really over promised on autonomous vehicles. I think everyone yeah. thinks we're much farther ahead than we are. AI has still got a very long way to go. But um, that's the sort of far off, far flung future that that these companies are really looking towards as far as reducing costs. We're joined by Mike Isaac, who is uh, with the New York Times, author of the book Super Pump: The Battle for Uber. Uh, what is the view now that, I mean, obviously I think it's night and day uh, from how Dara has the company running in comparison to how Travis ran the company, correct? Yeah, no, yeah, you're, you're right. I think, so when Dara came in in 2017 at the end, um, uh, Uber employees were really just sort of like, you know, it's crying out for uh, a leader that didn't um, have them constantly ridden with scandal. And, and I think Dar kind of came in and was the adult in the room, and he, he was a calming force. He's very um, sort of a professional CEO, career CEO, uh, had much a lot of time at IAC and, tra- and some travel companies over, over there. Um, the funny thing I'm hearing now from sources and current and former employees is like, is maybe that Dar is almost too calm, maybe a bit too boring for them, <laughs> which is kind of ironic, but they miss the, um, the the thing that they will give credit Travis with is this fire and, and sort of real drive to, um, to, to create a world-changing company and push ahead that um, is not as readily apparent um, in Dara's version of it. So it's a weird two years later, you know, um, things are calm, the building isn't on fire anymore, but uh, but maybe they're actually, some of them are longing for, for that hard-charging CEO that started the whole thing. Come on, Mike, they, they missed that party <laughs> culture that he, that he had kind of in place, right? <laughs> I mean, it, you know, a Beyonce trip sounds pretty fun to me. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Um, so... When you when you look at Kalanick, and obviously there's a there's a lot of bad that's associated with them, but obviously when you think about this company, there's there's the potential of a lot of good. How do you think that that legacy is going to kind of land in the end? And and I guess to a degree, it's maybe still developing as this company still develops. Yeah, you know that's part of really why I wanted to write this book because um, most of so I covered Uber for five years and wrote all about it for the Times when um, all its scandals were happening and uh, you know it was it was hard to see him as more than a one-dimensional character back then just because of all the stuff that was going on but I really did want to explore what it means for to be a founder what it was like for him to be a founder why. He sort of created this company in the way that he did and the, the positive and negative parts of that. Um, ultimately, I think he wasn't able to mature in time yeah. to grow with the company, and that, I think, is a real lesson for any CEO. But he created he created a, something of lasting value that did change the world, and, and I do think you have to credit him with that, whether you whether you like him at the end of the day or not. Sounds like you missed some of, uh, of those days when, <laughs> when, when all those stories were out there, right? 
Oh my gosh! Like, <laughs> I, I, I have a little PTSD around 2017, but it was yes, fun. Exactly right, Mike. Thanks very much for coming on. It's a fantastic book. Thank you very much for giving us your time today. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. The book is Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber. Mike Isaac, uh, who uh, is with the New York Times, uh, wrote it. It, it really is. It's a, it's a good look at, at, at obviously somebody that a lot of people know in Travis Kalanick or at least have heard about. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 